Okay, let's, um, let's turn our attention to that part of God's Word there in John 17. Uh, it will be helpful um, if you can have that part of the Bible open. That'll be great, uh, just to enable us to follow along well together. Um, so if you can get that out, that'd be great. I'm going to pray and ask that God would help us, and uh, we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for enabling us to gather together tonight and hear this prayer of your Son. Uh, Father, I pray you'd make it fresh for us. Uh, and real, I pray you'd help us to learn from it and be changed by it. Father, by your Holy Spirit, do that work, we ask, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, well, we've been doing a series uh, in John's account of, uh, of Jesus' life, and we've got to the end or towards the end of his book. Uh, we've been hanging out outside the upper room. Um, as I said, uh, th- this, is, this is obviously a photograph of that upper room. Uh, Judas has left. And Jesus and his disciples are at the door, and we've been carefully working through what Jesus says to them as they leave. So I've looked at the Father and the Son uh, two weeks ago. Last week we looked at the Son and the Spirit, and tonight we're going to look at the Son and believers. So as Jesus prays for believers. And I was thinking about prayer, and I went to try and find some stats on prayer, and um, the, the bit hard to find totally recent uh, stats, but here's one for America. So how often do you reckon the Americans pray? So how many people in America do you reckon would pray every day? Uh, the answer from the most recent survey I could find was 84% of Americans uh, say that they pray every day. That's just a massive stat. It's huge, absolutely huge. I reckon that's quite surprising. Uh, in the UK, uh, they asked them, they're a bit more uh, like us, they asked them and they came up with 76% um, pray at least once a week. It's pretty good. Uh, in Australia, couldn't find any stats on prayer, probably because we didn't know to ask that question in Australia. It appears literally no one has asked how often Australians pray. We just assume that they don't, I guess. But, um, but the stat on how many Australians believe in God, the most recent one of that, said 68% of Australians believe in God. My reflection on that statistic is, if you believe in God, you're probably going to pray to him. So I'm going to go with roughly somewhere in that realm. So less than the Americans, but still quite a lot. So on that basis, I'd like you to sort of think with me for a second and think, uh, what do you pray for those you love? On the basis that I figure most of us are praying in some way, what do you pray for those that you love? And uh, as we think about that, you might have a, a standard thing that you always pray every day, keep them safe, make them happy, or something like that. Um, I, I, I don't know what your prayer might be for them. But often, particularly for our loved ones, we'll sort of have a bit of a groove. We'll have a bit of a thing that we'll pray regularly for them. Does that resonate at all with anyone? Yeah, maybe. Uh, and then I think the next thing is to wonder, does anyone pray for other Christians around them? Uh, when we remember them. Uh, What would we pray for other Christians if we remembered them uh, around us? So quite often we're happy to pray for our family, pray for ourselves. Do you ever pray for other Christians? And if you did, what might you pray for them? As we think about that, uh, this is a bit of an old school thing. Uh, And I asked the guys this morning, does does anyone remember WWJD? What would Jesus do? Excellent. Excellent. Someone, who said this this, this afternoon? Someone, it was you. Thanks very much, Ali. Ali said that apparently the WWJD bands were the most stolen thing from Kurong. It's just a beautiful irony in there somewhere. How about we steal the band that says, what would Jesus do? 
I don't think he'd steal the band. Anyway, that's good. So when, when it comes to, uh, to thinking about prayer, we might say, well, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus pray? Right? And the wonderful thing about that is you don't need to get an armband for it. Um, we don't have to guess what Jesus would pray. In fact, the joy of this passage here in John's account of Jesus' life is that we do have Jesus praying. And so we can know what would Jesus pray because he did pray. So this evening, I want us to have a look at Jesus' prayer and see that there's, there's seven things I think he gives his attention to in this prayer. To God, to others, he prays for confidence, endurance, holiness, unity, and community. And we're going to try and unpack some of that tonight as, uh, as we jump into, uh, jump into this prayer. So if you can open up your Bibles, uh, we're going to go to John chapter 17. And I want you to look with me at where Jesus starts in this prayer. Uh, John 17, verse 1, after this, uh, after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth, by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Uh, Verse 5 is absolutely intriguing. Uh, It suggests to us that Jesus has a glory deficit. Right? Before the creation of the world, Jesus had glory with the Father. Awesome. And right now he's saying, I would love to be returned to the glory I had with you before the creation of the world. I want to get back to that. So there's something about Jesus being in flesh and walking around Palestine 2,000 years ago, which isn't showing the fullness of his glory. And so he's saying, Father, please return me to that glory. And so glory is the first thing on Jesus' mind. He's absolutely passionately committed to glory uh, for himself and for his Father. And I, I want to reflect a little bit on Jesus saying, glorify me. It's a little bit odd. He's saying to God, uh, glorify me. But I want you to think with me about this. If God glorifies, that's yellow arrow, if God glorifies anything other than himself, cool transition, uh, it's idolatry. Okay? So if, if the Father, Father God, says, I'm going to glorify I don't know. I have no idea what God would be interested to glorify outside of himself. But insert idolatrous thing here. Uh, If if God gives, he says, I want to glorify that thing over there, um, he would actually be committing idolatry. Giving his glory to anything else is wrong. But when the son asks the father to glorify him, and the son says, Father, I'm going to glorify you, we don't have a sin being committed. Because it's happening inside of God himself which tells us what we're looking at is the Trinity. So when Jesus says, glorify me, he's not doing anything wrong. He's saying, heavenly Father, Father, glorify your Son. And the Son says, Father, I'm going to glorify you. There's something happening in the Trinity here that is profoundly right, whereas God glorifying anything else is idolatry. So somehow here, right at the start of this uh, this prayer, we see that Jesus is equal with the Father in glory. It's pretty amazing. The second thing is uh, we find out something about ourselves. 
And uh, Australians have a particular turn of phrase for this. I I want you to have a look with me at verses 6 to 10. Jesus says, I've revealed you. So he's saying, Father, God, I've revealed you to those you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. And he says again and again on the way through here that they were given to him and that he's honoring God. Now, here's the amazing thing. The people who we're talking about quite literally are God's gift. I think we often use that in a uh, not particularly uh, wonderful way uh, to talk about people who think that they're God's gift. Uh, Wonderfully, there are some people in the world who are literally, quite literally, God's gift. That's pretty good, isn't it? Uh, So God has gifted people to his son, Jesus, and they are his gift to them. And so Jesus will pray for the ones that he has been given. And so uh, if you have a look at, um, uh, at verse, uh, where is it? Uh, I pray for them, verse 9, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. It's all this wonderful language, mine, yours, yours, mine, mine, yours. Have you seen this? It's, just, it's so amazingly circular. The Father and the Son are absolutely involved in every part of this work. And here Jesus is saying, I'm going to pray for those who are God's gift. Isn't that great? Uh, so that's how the prayer starts. Firstly, with God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, not heart, mind, soul, and strength. God, that's the glory prayer. And then for others, love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus is going to pray for those around him. And then Jesus gets really specific, and this is where the rubber will hit the road for us tonight. Uh, Has anyone caught up with this bloke in advertising recently? Insurance, yes. What's the word that goes with this bloke? Someone at the back. Confidence, that's right. Um, This is Mr. Confidence, so you'll always have confidence by your side. Uh, So this guy's confidence, uh, we're going to see much better than insurance, uh, something that God has on offer Uh, for his people here. So have a look with me at verses 11 to 12 here. Jesus says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Again, Jesus is saying, I'm going to leave, I'm going to depart, and there's going to be an issue here. It's worth noting the address, the way that Jesus uh, speaks to his father. He he calls him here, Holy Father, which is wonderful at some level. Um, I I said to the guys this morning, we're so familiar with calling God Father that we lose how intimate it is. No Jew, no historical Jew would have said to God, Yahweh, hey, how you doing? Here, this is Jesus using the word essentially daddy. Daddy is the address. It's the address of my son to me when he comes up to me and throws his arms around me and he says, hey, daddy. Um, There's a beautiful intimacy here. And no one in the Old Testament, the whole, all of this part of the Bible, no one has spoken to God the Father like this. Nobody. They've addressed him as Lord and as the mighty God. And here Jesus is saying, Daddy, and there's a beautiful intimacy in what he's saying here. Uh, But he connects it with the word holy, and so we have holy daddy. (laughs) So there's an awesomeness and an intimacy um, in the way that Jesus addresses his father here. 
he points out, though, that he's going. So he says, uh, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. So he's saying, I've protected them. When I was here, I was going to put um, Captain America's shield up. Uh, so I've protected them while I was here. But when I go back to you, Father, they're going to be on their own. Can you protect them when I leave them on their own? Okay, so that's basically uh, Jesus' prayer. And so he's saying new protection is needed for my precious children who I love in this world. So what do we learn here? We learn here that Jesus is asking his father, his dad, to protect us. And so here's what I want you to learn. Here's what we learn from this first part of the prayer. We are eternally safe. The disciples had Jesus with them for three years and then he went to heaven. He's now asking his father to never let up protecting his disciples. We're eternally safe. Uh, I'm at the evening service. I'll go with this. I'll try. Terminator movie. Terminator. Um, the, you've got uh, the boy. What's the name of the boy in the Terminator movies? Sorry? John Connor. Okay. And, um, and her, his mum's sitting at the, um, at the table there watching... And the Terminator's just standing there watching John Connor playing. And, um, and she says something worse to the effect of, I knew that he would never neglect his job of looking after my son. Um, he's a machine, right? His job is to just look after and protect John Connor and protect the future and all that sort of thing. But the wonderful thing is she's going, this machine will never make a mistake in caring for this, this boy. How much better? Not a Terminator. The living God overseeing his people. He will never take his eye off us. He'll never get distracted. He'll never lose interest. He won't flip the channel. He won't have a bad hair day. He will keep us eternally safe. And so that guarantee is guaranteed by the name that God gave him. Remember when Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am? That's the name. The guarantee is God's name. It's essentially the stamp or the seal on the promise to say, I'll always protect you. That's a pretty good start. We will be eternally safe. I uh, love this picture here. Uh, does anyone know what kind of plane that is? No, you don't, I'm guessing. Canberra bomber, fantastic. Oh, it's actually, sorry, Meteor. Meteor. Um, at the, the guy at the back there has just ejected out. They're doing um, ejection seat tests. Um, they're made by a British company called Martin Baker, who makes about 90% of the ejection seats in the Western world. How exciting. Information you didn't need to know. Uh, but they're testing it out here. Uh, the idea is you don't eject out of a plane unless everything has gone completely pear-shaped because the rocket that's in the bottom of the seat there compresses your spine. It will save your life, but it'll hurt you in the process of getting you out of there. So the idea is you don't eject unless everything is totally crazy, but if it's going crazy, you want to get out. Take me out of here. I don't want to be a part of this plane any longer. Jesus is going to say to his people, you don't get to eject out. There's no bailing out in this prayer for them. Have a look with me. It's a little surprising, I think. Uh, have a look with me at verses 13 to 16. I'm coming to you, Jesus says, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. So something really surprising here. I think Jesus is saying, I will offer you joy 
I will offer you a life filled with hope and joy. That's on offer. But escape from the hardship of this world is not on offer. I'm not giving you an escape. You don't get to pull down the, uh, the, the red and yellow, so the uh, yellow and black striped handles and punch out of this world when it gets difficult. He's saying, I'm not going to take you out of this world. I have work for you to do. But I offer you joy in the world. The reason that you might want to go is because you have two foes. Number one is the world, which it says here will hate you. The world will hate you. Uh, because of the word that Jesus has given you. Now, I, I always like it's always worth contextualizing this. Some Christians can take great joy in the fact that people hate them, and they can go, hey, if everyone hates me, I must be doing a good job. Um, I do think that sometimes they're just jerks for Jesus, okay? And they shouldn't take any comfort in that whatsoever, okay? But, but there'll be a time when you're a loving, engaged, caring, compassionate human and people won't like that you have a different difference of opinion, that you stand by a different allegiance in this world. So I was at a conference on the weekend where they were talking about people being uh, killed and imprisoned in countries around the world because they love Jesus. Governments find it destabilizing to have Christians in their country. And so there's a sense in which the world will be a foe to anyone whose allegiance is to Jesus. The second foe that we have and the second reason that we might want to bail out of the world is because there is one in this world, the evil one, also known as Satan, who is opposed to believers. However, we are told here that Jesus has asked on our behalf that we be protected specifically from the evil one. So we're not going to get out of the world. We're going to be secure, but we're going to be strangers here. We're going to be secure because God will protect us from the evil one. But we're going to be strangers here. The world won't love you. The world won't love you. And so I want you to know that you are to be secure strangers. Our citizenship is somewhere else. If you had a, a, a spiritual passport, okay, it would be stamped heaven and not earth. And so we are to be secure because we've been saved from the, uh, from the powers of the evil one. But we are to be strangers here as well. What does it look like to be secured from the evil one? Well, the Bible talks in, um, in 1 Peter about Satan being a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And so there's a sense in which God will keep the lion caged. He cannot destroy you. Okay? But as I shared with the guys this morning, I don't know if you remember that story a little while ago about the boy that climbed into the bear enclosure. Yeah? It is possible, I think, to jump the fence and to get in the place where the lion is. And God won't stop you doing that if you're crazy enough to do it. But if you're following him and you're obedient to him, the lion can't get you. Okay? So we're secure. The other thing is the world may mock you, the world may ridicule you, but you will be secure because you know your citizenship is in heaven. So we'll be secure strangers. So I want you to love your true home, which is not here. Love your true home and be useful here while you wait for the day. Eventually, uh, we will be with God. Uh, a guy I was reading, a guy called Don Carson, makes this observation about the prayer. The spiritual dimensions of this prayer of Jesus are consistent and overwhelming. By contrast, we spend much more time today praying about our health, our projects, our decisions, our finances, our family, and even our games than we do praying about the danger of the evil one. In other words, what he's saying here is we live fundamentally unaware of this whole other reality that's around us. We're spiritual beings, we have a spiritual enemy, but what we do is we pray for 
projects, family. And that's, it, it's not saying don't pray for them, but it's saying open your eyes to the spiritual reality that is around you. Uh, I think that's really helpful. And I think we need to acknowledge the spiritual reality more in prayer. It's not just work hard. It's actually acknowledge that there is a spiritual reality around us. Okay. Everyone knows where this is? Is that right? Lauren, I can see you smiling. Where is this? The SCG, how beautiful. The SCG on a balmy summer's night. Um, at different points in the year, this is just a lump of grass, but at particular times, it is hallowed. Okay? It is absolutely set aside for a beautiful purpose, uh, whether that's T20, which may or not be hallowed because they're playing in pyjamas. But when it's white, when it's white, and we're playing England in the ashes or something, it truly is hallowed ground, right? It's set aside for this very special purpose. We see set aside for a very special purpose here in this, uh, in this passage. Have a look with me at verses 17 to 19. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, Jesus prays, that they too may be truly sanctified. So what's sanctified mean? Sanctified basically means set aside for a purpose. Set aside for a purpose. So that grass is set aside for a purpose. We are set aside for the purpose of loving and serving God. Jesus says, I have been set aside for the purpose of obedience to you, Holy Father. I've done that. I've sanctified myself so that these guys here might be set aside for the purpose of loving you. And so Jesus models it to us. He says, I'm going to obey Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to obey my whole life all the way to the cross. I am set aside for your purpose. And then he tells us the way we are to be set aside by knowing and loving God through his word. So we learn here in Jesus' prayer that he wants us to be set apart, that's the sanctified word, and sent. Have a look with me at what it says here in verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. We are a holy letter stamped for God's purpose. We're a holy letter stamped for God's purpose and sent into this world. So we need to be people who are giving the message of new life and living new life for Jesus as our full-time occupation, not our hobby. Uh, one of my favourite things in the world, uh, a mess of Lego. Did anyone grow up playing with Lego? That still happened? Yeah. Some of you. I love this. Uh, if you look at this pile here, not very much going on. Um, you're certainly not thinking anything uh, creative or beautiful is happening there. But when we assemble it, incidentally, I love this. This is a fantastic boat. Very cool. Um, when you assemble it, you see that these pieces have an order. They have someone behind them who has a creative intent. And uh, this is a fishing boat, so its purpose is to catch fish, which is great. Uh, some assembly required is the next part of, uh, of Jesus' prayer. My prayer is not for them alone, he says in verse 20. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus says you're going to have to be together, together in a holy purpose. And it says here, that he is praying for those who will believe in me through their message, which means Jesus prayed for us. He's prayed for us. We are those who have believed in the message. Or at least some of us have believed in the message and some of us are coming to believe in the message. 
if you believed in the message, it says here, Jesus has prayed for you 2,000 years ago, uh, which I think is pretty amazing. He prays that we might be united. And my suggestion is we're most united when we're fishing. Okay? Jesus told his disciples to, that he would make them into fishers of men. And so I assembled my Lego blocks into a fishing boat so that we'd see our unity, I think, needs to be not just in the fact that we all sing together, but that we all go fishing together. Fishing, taking the good news of Jesus out into the world around us. And so I find myself most united when I'm on the job of fishing. And uh, I shared this morning, my, my former boss, Bruce, was a big fisher. Big fisher. He's actually a big fisherman. He's tall. He's about six foot three. Um, he's a big fisherman. And uh, one of the things he said is when the fishermen aren't fishing, they're fighting. When the fishermen aren't fishing, they're fighting. I don't think there could be anything more true about the church than that. When we're not on mission together, we're babbling on about all the things that make us different. When we're doing the job that Jesus sent us to, we're, we are united. And so I think that we're to be united as a witness to the world. And so we learn that you can assemble. It is possible for the church to assemble itself. It's, it's quite funny. That's not a boat. It's actually not anything. Um, sometimes the church can just say, hey, we just need to get together. And so we all get together and we don't actually assemble anything and we don't have any purpose. And so it looks like that. And we claim we're a big lump, so we're doing something beautiful for Jesus. Uh, I don't think that's very helpful at all. Um, I think we're to be a one shepherd flock, which means it's a bit like I'm, I'm a, a one woman man, perhaps. Um, we're to be a group of people who have one shepherd and we're a family in Jesus as a witness to the world. So when we're witnessing to the world, we're a witness to the world. When we're witnessing to the world, we're a witness to the world. And the best way I can show you that we do that is with this bloke here. That's Dean. He's the head of the Baptist church in Oran Park that meets in the public school over there. Uh, we do scripture together. So this is Michael and I uh, chatting with Dean. Um, and we're chatting because we're going to fish together in the public school. And we have absolutely no problems doing that. We are totally united with them in that process. It doesn't mean that they need to put an Anglican sticker on their church for us to be united. It doesn't mean they have to be here tonight for us to be united. It means that we're united in the purpose of fishing for Jesus. And it's a beautiful witness to the school community that we can do that together. Uh, this is the fussy grape, uh, which is no more. Uh, does it, people know where the fussy grape was? So just as you go out Oran Park Drive, just on the left there, there used to be a vineyard. And I went up there when it was a vineyard. And uh, in John 15, Jesus talks about, uh, about the vineyard. And uh, he says, uh, um, he is the branch. Uh, no, we are the branch. He is divine. Is that right? I think that's the way it works anyway. Um, he basically says, I want you to be joined into me. And he uses the metaphor of the, of, the, um, of the vine. We need to be connected to Jesus. And that's the, the last petition that we see here in, in verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me before, uh, because you loved me before the creation of the world. And uh, he goes on to say, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. So what does he want? He wants us to be with him, the ultimate destination, that picture that was read to us from Revelation 7 that will all end up around the throne. That Jesus is only known when he makes himself known to others. So it, we, are not, we know Jesus by revelation. 
and that that work will continue. He says, uh, and will continue to make you known. So Jesus will continue to make Jesus known. So we can learn from this prayer that we have a glorious destination and we can look forward to the fact that God himself will work in and through us. And then we see in 18 verse 1, it says, When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden and he and his disciples went into it. We're coming to Easter and we finally got out of the upper room. It is done. Jesus has finished praying and finished his discourse. Here's a, here's, a, uh, here's a question for you. Do you think that God heard Jesus' prayer? Of all the prayers that could have been, yes, good answer, Pilot, well done. Yes, he will have heard Jesus' prayer. So then I think the question is, what will be different? If God heard Jesus' prayer, what will be different? The answer is, me. I should be different. If God heard Jesus' prayer, I should be different. How should we live and pray differently? Well, let me, um, let me put up uh, my septagon. Someone told me this morning it was a septagon, so I'm going with that. Seven-sided, shapey thing. All right, what did Jesus pray? He prayed for glory, for others, for confidence, for endurance, for holiness, for unity, and for community. How should I live differently? I should be someone who's far more passionate about glory. My prayer life should include the glory of Jesus. I should pray, glorify your son, because Jesus did. I think that needs to get a higher rotation in my prayer life. I need to remember others, not just myself and my prayer list of things that are really important to me. I need to pray for others, and Jesus models that to me. When it comes to confidence, I think this is so important. I need to be thankful for the confidence that God has assured me of and not fearful. So I think we can be overwhelmed with fear and what we should be instead is thankful for the confidence that God has said. He says, I will protect you. The evil one will not overcome you. So we should be more thankful in prayer and less fearful. The next point here is I think we should be informed by endurance. And what I mean by that is often we'll pray, Lord, stop this pain stop this problem, get us out of here. Now, at some level, that's fine. I think what we neglect at the price of that, though, is that we often miss praying for character in the midst of suffering. And when it goes on, so if I, if I pray, I mean, I've prayed for dear people with, um, with mental health issues who struggle, and they don't just struggle today, and at some level it becomes trite to say, oh, I just want you to be fixed, we, we, we really don't, I, I think, in the end, uh, love them very much when we say all we pray for them is, I pray that it stop, pray that it stop, pray that it stop. Why don't we pray in the midst of it that, hello, beautiful. Do you want to come up here and add to my sermon? I'm sure you could. She's got lots of words. Um, I think we need to learn what it is to pray enduring prayers. Prayers about character, about perseverance, about hope in the midst of suffering. So I actually want our prayer life to be informed by Jesus' passion for endurance. I'd like us to request holiness. I need to do this more. Jesus prayed that we'd be sanctified, that we'd be set aside for God's purpose. Do we ever pray that for ourselves or for others? Question to consider. When it comes to unity, do we pray that we might express that unity in our community for God's honour? And will we be community together on mission for God? So I find myself quite challenged, and I guess what I'd say to you tonight is, perhaps it's time 
for a little prayer audit. What doesn't make the cut from what we heard from Jesus' prayer in our prayer life? What do we need to add in? If it was a pizza, what's the topping missing? Uh, Is it just all dough? No sauce. Uh, We need to actually make sure that we're praying the breadth of what Jesus prayed. So starting this week, what do you need to add in? If you're looking at one of those seven things, what do you need to add in that just isn't making the cut regularly in your prayer life? Can you think of what that might be? Don't need to call it out. What doesn't make the cut in your prayer? What can we add in this week? Well, I want to suggest there's two ways uh, to live off the back of this sermon. We can be people who are in the world, or we can be people who are believers, confident that God has sent Jesus into the world. If we're, if we're in the world, Jesus says, I'm not praying for you. We're outside his prayer. If we're believers, we can know that 2,000 years ago, the Son of God prayed for us, and he prayed glorious and wonderful things for each one of us. Let me pray, and then we're going to have time for questions, if you have any. Let's see. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for what Jesus has laid out for us. I pray that you would bring honour and glory to your Son. Um, Father, I, I don't do that. I don't pray that enough. Father, would you help us as we reflect on our prayer life? Father, would you broaden it and deepen it? Would you help us, Father, to reflect this beautiful prayer of your Son? And would you answer it so that glory may come to you? For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Excellent. All right. Now, I don't know if this will work. It's Sunday night. You've been listening. Uh, Are there any questions that are arising from what I've just had to say? Or maybe you want to throw me a doozy and ask me something that isn't at all related to the sermon. But you've always wanted to know. When someone says you can ask me anything, my, my backup question is, what's the circumference of the moon? What is the circumference of the moon? I haven't Googled it, but, but I, like, I, I just like having it up the back. Someone will look now. Someone look and find out and be able to tell us. Uh, the, the, the opportunity, I guess, is to, is to interact. So is there anything that wasn't clear, something that uh, you would like to follow up on, uh, something you'd like to observe? Yes, question. Bill, go. Sure, yeah, that's helpful. Yep. Yeah, sure, that's good. Oh, yeah, thanks, that's a really helpful question. Of course it is, perfectly fine. Um, I- I'm not intending that you end up with a seven-point prayer list that you have to tick off every day, so that's not where we're going. And, and to be led by the Spirit and responding to what the world around you, I think that shows our dependence on our Father, I, I'm not going to pray daddy. I just don't think that's, I can't, I can't get to daddy. Jesus said, pray our father in heaven. So I'm going to pray our father in heaven, right? But, but I love the intimacy behind that. So, so responding and doing it in the midst of life, great, keep going. I guess what I find though is as I do that, um, I, I guess it's a bit like a river running through um, uh, uh, a, a flat plain. After a while, the water finds its way through, and then I dig down a canyon rather than exploring all over the place. Does that make sense? So I find myself in a groove of the way I pray. I pray particular things, and I pray particular ways. And I guess what I'm trying to find tonight is something that reminds me, fan the delta out a little bit, cover some stuff in prayer, maybe intentionally, out of the normal. 
that is on God's heart that Jesus models for us. So at some level, almost be a little bit more intentional to cover something you didn't, not to stop doing the other. Does that make sense, Bill? Do you want to come back to me or is that? That's good. Yeah. Um, Anyone else? Question. No? Okay, that's great. Um, It can be easier to do that over uh, supper. If you want to come and find me and do that, that'd be great. Um, Thank you for asking, Bill. Uh, Let's get our Karen Connect cards out and uh, Michael will lead us in how we do that. Thanks, mate.